This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. I'm delighted today to have Dr. Uma Naidu. She's an awarded board certified psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School, professional chef, nutrition specialist, and author of the recently released, This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, and more. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, ABC News, Harvard Health Press, Goop, and many others. She has a special interest on the impact of food on mood and other mental health conditions. Welcome. It's such a pleasure to connect with you. It's wonderful to meet you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And I was mentioning before we started recording that I had so many people request you specifically because they were so enamored with your work. And so I dove down the rabbit hole and had to learn about you and realized that, you know, your message would really resonate with my own listeners. And, you know, I think anyone that knows me already, my philosophy is generally it all starts with food. And so having a mental health specialist, a psychiatrist who believes in the power and the possibility of food is so nicely aligned. So I would love for you to share with the listeners because you have very much a Renaissance background. How did you go from medical school into becoming a chef and a nutrition focused psychiatrist? Because let's fully recognize that traditional kind of allopathic medicine is still very focused on medications that are going to treat symptoms as opposed to looking at a more root cause approach. Absolutely. So certainly my background is different. (laughs) You know, it goes back to my childhood when I've thought about it. I've realized that there were several very strong influences. I grew up in a very large South Asian family, surrounded by grandparents and parents and cousins and lots of a very large extended family. But I decided, Cynthia, to skip out of preschool. And I preferred to stay home with my maternal grandmother, to whom my book, This Is Your Brain on Food, is dedicated. Mm-hmm. So the book is dedicated to her. But she was a wonderful cook. And I would spend time during the day with her because my mom was actually in medical school at the time. So my parents would leave me with my grandmother during the day. And we'd do things like, you know, pick fresh vegetables from the garden. I'd help her shell peas and do all sorts of things. And she would prepare a meal. So it was very much part of my DNA. It was how I grew up. But at the same time, there were several other very positive influences. My grandparents taught me how to meditate. They taught me yoga. And in this very large extended family, there were lots of uncles and aunts who were physicians. So there was the talk of science, there was the talk of nutrition. There's also love and joy and nurturance around the home. And I grew up with this influence of allopathic physicians, as well as a few Ayurvedic practitioners. So that holistic approach and mind-body approach was all there. And when I began to really learn about psychiatric medications, I realized that there was such a huge gap because there wasn't any speak of anything holistic. There wasn't any discussion of the mind-body connection. And I think that the power of the prescription pad also led me to feel that I owed it to my patients to have just a few more options for them in the toolkit, not against medications, actually, that work very well with medications. And nutrition became one of those things early on. And for me, it really happened that aha moment actually happened for me when I began to delve deeper into nutrition when a patient yelled at me, which in some ways was also a very enlightening moment for him. And I was a very timid, you know, young resident and just learning about medications and prescribing. And he accused me of causing him to gain weight from Prozac. 
And of course, technically that is true, but I had his chart up on my computer and I knew that that wasn't the case. I knew his baseline weight. And, you know, the Boston area, our favorite coffee is Dunkin' Donuts coffee, mm-hmm. if you've ever been to the uh, New England area. And, well, let's call him Bill. You know, he had this very large cup of coffee in his hands. So as he was yelling, I looked at this coffee and I said to him, Bill, what did you put in your coffee? And that did distract him. But I realized that I, something had clicked in my head. And he said, oh, well, I put what I always put, Doc, you know, my packets of sugar and my cream or whatever it is, or cream, I should say. But when we sat down at the computer, we worked out he put more than a quarter cup of processed creamer and eight teaspoons of sugar, at least. And when I, I'm not much of a calorie counter, Cynthia. In fact, I don't always think it's helpful for people. But when we we use that method just to outline Mm -hmm. to him what he had taken in just with his coffee before he'd even eaten. And as the light bulb went off for him, and I saw his attitude change, his behavior, his demeanor change towards me, he suddenly was engaged in, well, how can we work together to change this? Like, help me understand what I'm doing even in the rest of my meals. That was my aha moment, because I saw the power of translating a simple educational fact about what he was, a habit he had every day that could be powerful in his life. And when someone wants to make a change or they see that there is a potential food or drink or beverage that that is affecting them, that is very powerful. And it really led me to want to do more of that and ask more questions. And I just felt that I should be asking people, are you moving? You know, are you sleeping well? Are you drinking enough water? So that began to be what I started to ask about. And I was very fortunate to be encouraged in my interest, both from my parents early on, but also in my training. And I was supported by my mentors to open this clinic at Mass Journal and to really serve individuals who want to use nutritional interventions to improve their mental well-being. And that's how my clinic in nutritional and metabolic psychiatry started. And, you know, I, it was also how the book came to be. But it's been, I think I, and I should just say on this uh, very long answer that I didn't mean for it to be so long, but my food here was Julia Child. And when mm-hmm. I was a very junior resident, I would watch her on PBS because, you know, which resident can only afford public television and not cable. And she really helped me gain confidence as a cook, you know. And so I decided if when I realized it was her second career that she was most famous for, I thought, well, you know, why not learn more? And, and why can't I do it sort of thing? So I decided to pursue that as well. Well, I love that you married all of these background influences together. And it's a really powerful realization as a clinician, when your patients give you opportunities to think a little bit differently, like that day, when you recall that patient and you connecting over what he had put in his coffee. And I like to remind, you know, when I'm working with people, just the realization that there are a lot of habits that we have that can add up over time. And all of my background, I was an ER nurse in inner city, Baltimore and worked in cardiology as an MP for 16 years. And I got to a point where, and the listeners know this, that I kept saying, it can't just be about writing prescriptions. We really have to be spending the time. And and as an NP, I had the luxury of a little bit more time with my patients. And one patient in particular that I like to talk a lot about was a diabetic and he went to the diabetes educator and, you know, the diabetes educator thought she was providing really helpful information. And so I said, you know, what do you eat in a given day? And this is a diabetic said, I eat six bananas a day. Mm. And I said, okay. And I said, what did the diabetes educator talk to you about fruit sugar? And he said, oh, well, it's a natural food. And I said, it is. But if you've already got a blood sugar problem, eating more fructose, even though it's a Mm -hmm. fruit and having so many carbohydrates is not beneficial. And for him, 
he actually said to me, you know, years later, he said, you were the first person that actually said to me, do you think maybe you're eating too much fruit? Like too much of any one yeah, thing, any one um, thing, right? right? Right. May not be beneficial. So I love that you have those discussions because I think it's so critically important. It can't be that. And let me be clear for everyone that's listening. There are absolutely positively times when the only option is prescription medication or mm-hmm. surgical intervention. But when it comes to chronic disease, or preventative disease, whether that's mental or physical, it's really important that we're having opening up these discussions because we may not know how many sugars our patient is putting in their coffee or how many pieces of fruit they're having that they think are entirely benign and yet they're diabetic. So let's talk a little bit, let's unpack. There's a lot of discussion about the role between mental health and gut health and, Mm -hmm. you know, really talking to people that there is this interplay, you know, the enteric second brain Let's touch on this because I think this realization is really important for people that the foods that we're eating are very powerful because it can impact the chemicals that our gut makes, our neurotransmitters, et cetera. And oftentimes our choices in terms of foods, you know, whether it's things we consume in beverage form or, you know, physical food that we're chewing and swallowing have a large impact on how we feel, how we see the world. Absolutely. You know, it's if someone went to medical school a few decades ago, they were not taught the gut-brain connection. And it's really in the last decade to two decades that things have really unfolded in the research around the gut-brain connection, gut health, the microbiome. In fact, between 2013 and 2017, there were about 12,000 journal articles published in this area. So it really speaks to this cutting edge level of research. And also, I think the way that What I'm excited about is the way that it's impacting mental health. Because, you know, as my patients will tell me, the gut and brain are not close by in the body. Why would you even think they were connected? And they're absolutely right. (laughs) You know, it's a fair question. But when you break it down and discuss the fact that uh, embryologically, the gut and brain arise from the exact same cells, develop, divide, and grow apart in the body, and then remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which I like to call two-way superhighway. And I call it that because it works 24-7, 365 days a day, a year, 365 days a year. But, you know, transmitting these chemical messages back and forth in a bi-directional way between these two organs. You know, people start to understand that what they're eating can, in fact, have an impact. And then understanding that their medications, like my patient Bill was taking, you know, Prozac, Zoloft, or all selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but about 90% of those receptors are actually in the gut. Mm-hmm. So that is often why people will understand Then, if you've ever been prescribed an SSRI medication, you may have for the first five to 10 days, or a little bit longer, some GI upset mm-hmm. or GI discomfort. And then, you know, for the pandemic times, I always like people to know that 70% or more of our immune system is in the gut. And that's really important for people to understand that as we eat the breakdown products of our food, I say, you know, you can eat a healthier choice or a less healthy choice. If you're choosing the fast food, junk foods, processed foods, it's going to have an impact on your microbiota. And we know that those microbes change within 24 hours. You may not feel the change, but they start to change. They start to respond. They start to react. So if you are feeding the bad guys with, you know, the ice cream and the sugar and the fast processed foods all the time, then they are thriving and they overcome the good guys who are there to, you know, eat the fiber rich foods and help you thrive and help your immunity, help your circadian rhythm, help your sleep, help hormone balance, help your immunity, help your, you know, mental health. But if you don't feed them right, they can't really do their job. So it's important to understand that balance and that imbalance 
when we are not eating a healthy diet is what really sets us up for inflammation in the gut. And inflammation in the gut, I like to say happy gut is a happy mood because the opposite is also true. If, if it's a not happy gut or unhappy gut, there's inflammation. But most importantly, that inflammation sets up for brain or neural inflammation. And you will see over time an uptick of someone's mental health symptoms or new onset of symptoms in some people too. And so you really have to understand what's going on with the whole person and what they're doing with all their habits, not just are they taking their medication twice a day, but you know what else is going on in their life. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs 
in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. It's really powerful. There's a lot that you said in that that short, well, not short answer, but in that <laughs> that very detailed answer, how critically important we're in, still in the midst of a pandemic, you know, kind of, I keep saying on the tail end, I'm hopeful we're heading out of this, right. but right. the net impact over what's occurred over the last 15, 16 months for so many people that were not able to be as social as they would have liked to have been, not been able to, you know, go to a baseball game, go to a concert, travel with ease, you know, things are still a little bit mucked up. And the impact of the food choices that we make are so profoundly powerful. Now I can probably guess what some of the more inflammatory foods, but based on the research, what are the foods that you see that create the most problems? You touched on some of the hyper palatable, highly mm-hmm. processed foods, but what are some of the other big categories? because there may be people listening who may not make the connection with the foods that they're eating and the net impact on their mood. Absolutely. You know, Cynthia, as you well know, many people will go into their practitioner's office and talk about a family history of diabetes, those COVID palms that everyone has, mostly everyone has gained, or even a family history of hypertension. But no one is actually making that connection, right, mm-hmm. between what we eat and our emotional health. And I think that one of the ways that people also understand food is that, you know, they know that similarly to hypertension or weight gain, they're concerned about those processed foods or added sugars in foods or sort of more sugary treats as something that would affect their blood sugar. But no one actually realizes that all of these foods actually impact your mental health and it shows in studies. So added and refined sugars impact your mental health. They at least worsen depression. There's an increase in anxiety ultra-processed, processed junk foods and fast foods, same sort of thing. You know, the more preservatives, the worse for your brain. Artificial sweeteners, many people feel that, you know, let me try to give up the soda and I'll have a diet soda instead. Not the best move, especially if you have mental health symptoms, they could worsen. Um, Processed vegetable oils. So, you know, processed vegetables oils are often used in fast food restaurants where they are because they're less costly. And Mm -hmm. for that reason, you know, if you're eating a fast food, junk food diet, you're consuming very pro-inflammatory oils that are going to disrupt your gut microbiota and start to, you know, set you up for inflammation there. You know, trans fats have been associated Mm -hmm. with behavioral changes. So, you know, it's really sort of avoiding the processed, ultra-processed junk foods, fast foods, added and refined sugars, artificial sweeteners is a big category, processed vegetable oils is another one. And, you know, just sort of moving toward a healthy whole foods diet that's rich in fiber. It's interesting. I was listening to a talk that Dr. Ben Bickman was giving recently, and he said in the United States, the most consumed fat is soybean oil. So you're talking about vegetable oil, Mm -hmm. seed oils, and how incredibly inflammatory they are 
I know from Kate, Dr. Kate Shanahan's work, she talks a lot about the fact that these seed oils drive carbohydrate addiction, which leads to insulin resistance. And, you know, the big takeaway from what we're saying is just really get diligent about reading food labels, how critically important we're not saying to live in a bubble, but mm-hmm. when you're out at a restaurant, ask, mm-hmm. you know, what is that mm-hmm. salad dressing made with? I know I drive my, I have teenagers and they think I'm the most embarrassing human being in the world. <laughs> but when we're at a restaurant and we don't eat out a lot, I will ask, you know, mm-hmm. what are things fried in? What are your salad dressings made with? And nine times out of 10, yeah, not, I would say 99% of the time <laughs> it's canola oil blends, olive oil blends, soybean oil. And I always say, thank you, but no, thank you. But I think that when people are able to make the connection that these foods that they're consuming, oftentimes the hyper palatable foods, they're in travel mode, they're running into a grocery store and just grabbing something they can throw into their bag oftentimes is not benefiting their physical or emotional health. I know that when my boys were younger, anytime my now 13 year old ingested red dye number 40 at a birthday party, Mm -hmm. you know, the brightly Mm -hmm. pigmented red icing Mm -hmm. that, you know, you get at a birthday party. My Mm -hmm. child could not sit still. And my husband, God bless him, used Mm -hmm. to tell me he thought I was bananas. And I said, just let him eat that cupcake and see what happens to his behavior. Mm -hmm. He couldn't sit down. He normally Mm -hmm. in my well-behaved toddler could not (laughs) sit down, couldn't sit still, you know, was running all over the place, running amok. And Mm -hmm. so just acknowledging that the chemicals our bodies are exposed to can lead to behavioral changes. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure for you, I would imagine you see quite a bit of anxiety and depression related to food choices that people are making. Absolutely. And sometimes it's really, some, so many people even perceive themselves to be having healthy eating habits, but when you actually break it down with them, it's not that they're eating unhealthy, they really are making an effort. And I always mm-hmm. want to champion efforts that people make because change is hard and it's not a perfect world. But they often, Cynthia, don't realize something simple, like my patient will, something simple that they're doing. They, they almost do it in an automatic fashion. And when we are not having that level of awareness connected to what we're doing is often when we get ourselves in trouble. And that's when we have to cover things that they're doing mm-hmm. in their daily habits, such as drinking fruit juice. You know, they've heard fruit juice, they should be eating their servings of fruit. So <laughs> when they see ads that say, you know, get your servings of fruit, they think, well, my doctor said I should eat fruit and they go out and buy store-bought orange juice. And, you know, one of the things I hop on is eat the whole orange, skip the store-bought orange juice because all the added sugars and, and lack of fiber doesn't help you. So simple things like that, we end up uncovering in their diet or, you know, I've heard blueberries as healthy for my brain. They have antioxidants but they're getting a, you know, a sugar-laden fruited yogurt, mm-hmm. which in a half a cup or just over a half a cup can have eight to 10 teaspoons of sugar in it if you buy a, you know, different brands. Mm-hmm. So I think that even the brands have gotten savvy and they're trying to cut back on that. But as consumers, we just really have to understand food labels mm-hmm. and understand that four grams of sugar is one teaspoon because our food labels are in grams and we mm-hmm. cook and bake in the United States and all our cookbooks are standardized to pounds and ounces. So it's very, very difficult for us to try to figure out a food label, you know, yes. without knowing a few tips. Absolutely. And I think it's important to meet people where they are. I think you bring up such mm-hmm. an excellent point that, you know, we can sit in the ivory tower in academics yeah. or, you know, in yeah. our clinics, yeah. and then we forget it's all about those small sustainable changes. And the only That's way right. to make them small and sustainable is to make them small. You know, you don't want to go from zero to 60 because then it will make it very hard to be compliant. Now, it seems to me that a lot of what I hear women in particular, especially women in midlife is talking a lot about 
brain health, brain mm-hmm. fog, feeling mm-hmm. like they just don't feel cognitively as clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some of the gender differences that you see clinically with women and men in terms of, you know, the mental health impact, not just of our current circumstances in the pandemic, but as our brains are getting older, as our bodies are getting older, what are some of the differences that you're seeing in women? I think the biggest difference that I see in women is that they might actually struggle a little bit more in different age groups, say around childbearing years, mm-hmm. you know, if they're struggling with anything related to hormone imbalance mm-hmm. or any form of treatment they might be taking. And then as they, you know, are in perimenopause as well, they may have an uptick of anxiety, new onset of symptoms related to what they're experiencing, all the changes that they're going through. And those tend to be two particular groups. But at the rest of the time, I often see a very large amount of anxiety as well. And many unspoken, unseen symptoms, not realizing that they've actually experienced a form of trauma that they never really thought about in that way. But when they share a particular event or story or some of their background, they may actually be having symptoms of of that trauma, stress-related symptoms or just reactive symptoms and not really almost put it in the context that it was a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. You know, something as simple as, you know, I think sometimes people confuse trauma with either physical trauma or very deep emotional trauma. But trauma comes in many different forms. You know, it can be a young child, as I evaluated once, who was, was called out Uh, for having a learning disability in childhood in a classroom and developed, you know, then already had a speech impediment, but it became so much worse that he couldn't get up and stand up and speak in front of his class. But, you know, he had been evaluated and gone through several medical tests and seen several doctors over many years. And when I saw him later on in his life as an adolescent, when I listened to what his mother said, I realized that this child had really suffered this immense trauma that had almost made him so afraid to speak out that his not only did his learning go awry, but his speech impediment got worse and he just, he couldn't express himself. So, you know, it's, it's important just to understand the whole person, the, their whole life, and to put it together in that context. I think that's really important. I think even as a clinician myself that, you know, when I went through my training and I trained at a big research institution, when I thought of trauma, I thought, oh, medical trauma or someone's had a rape or some type of horrific event. And what I've come to realize is that it's very bio-individual and trauma Mm -hmm. could have been the divorce you grew up with, with your parents. Mm -hmm. Trauma could have been a a traumatic breakup you had as a young adult. Trauma could be just the stress of a move. And so Mm -hmm. acknowledging that each of us experience those things so very differently and how critically important it is to give ourselves grace. I think that's the one thing as I'm, you know, in my middle age years, I just acknowledge, just give yourself some grace because there are so many things that impact our ability to view the world. Now, one thing I'd love to touch on before we talk about some of the things that we can proactively do to impact cognitive and brain health. Let's talk about, let's at least touch on libido and how the foods that we eat and the stress that we experience can impact libido in negative ways. 
absolutely. So, you know, it's one of the things, the reason I included this particular chapter is that individuals who are taking certain psychiatric medications may actually struggle with the side effect of a lowered libido. And so I felt that was important, but also because it's not only just a part of life, I think that it's helpful for people to know that they can lean on food um, Mm -hmm. for all of these things in life. So, you know, some of the things that you want to think about are what to include in a date night, you know, foods that you can start to incorporate in your diet. And they can be as simple as things like, you know, one that people love are things like dark chocolate because it boosts oxytocin. It's rich in magnesium. It has multiple essential, you know, amino acid, you know, red wine is actually associated with this as well. And nuts such as, you know, certain ones hit the high notes, the pistachios, almonds, and walnuts, apples, pomegranate juice, to name a few, avocados is a healthy fat, and some herbs and spices were um, saffron and fenugreek. So, you know, just things that the way I like people to think about it is what are these, to read the list in my book, but the way that I think about it is every chapter has a list of foods to embrace, which is much longer than the foods to avoid. So, you know, look at the list and see what can I add into a dish or what can I put together for an evening, you know, and really bring it together that way. And then also be aware of the things to avoid. Absolutely. And it's interesting. The one thing that I always remember about walnuts and pomegranates is that they, well, walnuts look like our brain. I mean, the way that they're shaped. And I always think of pomegranates as like the fertility, you know, fruit, like it really just Mm -hmm. looks very ripe and there's lots of Mm -hmm. seeds. And so acknowledging that nature does this really beautiful job on so many levels Mm -hmm. with some of the things that you've mentioned that are designed to call our attention to them. Now, I definitely want to touch on the role of, you know, foods and things that are beneficial for cognitive and brain health. And and I know this Mm -hmm. is a large focus of your book and for people that are Mm -hmm. listening, I'm loving your book. I've been listening to it on audible so I can listen to it while I'm outside walking my dogs. I always say like, (laughs) you know, that brain connection for me, like I'm walking them outside and we're in nature and it's really something I look forward to. Let's talk about some of the easy things that people can pull into their diets that have a positive net impact on brain health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, if we're thinking specifically about cognition, we want to bring in those healthy fats, like olive oil. We want to think about certain herbs and spices, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, cinnamon, saffron, rosemary, ginger, and sage with some of those that actually, again, showed up in a very positive way. You know, people that are dealing with brain fog, uh, some of my tips around that, you know, people will report feeling very sluggish in the afternoon. I always suggest to them a couple of things. One is a mood kind of clarifying green tea because the uh, L-theanine and, you know, it's so, so rich in antioxidants and polyphenols that it actually, many people find it, it, it gives them a little bit of an energy boost that helps them focus. But you can also use foods which are rich in certain antioxidants such as fresh peppermint. So one of the things I'll ask my clients to do is make fresh peppermint tea, you know, eat some sweet peppers, eat certain foods that are rich in luteolin, which which is one of the antioxidants that was shown to be helpful with brain fog. So it's a pattern of healthy eating. And if people are concerned about cognition, you know, I would start with some basic healthy habits, eat, increasing those fruit and vegetable servings. You know, at least two servings of low glycemic fruit like berries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries was a good idea. But then really having, to your point, Cynthia, about 
the caveat around diabetes, you should be talking to your endocrinologist, your diabetologist mm-hmm. about that because he or she may want you to adjust that fruit mm-hmm. based on what's going on with your blood sugar. But for the rest of us who may not have those conditions, things like paying attention to fiber, paying attention to enough servings of fruit, uh, it turns out that only 10% of Americans eat their servings of fruit and vegetables, but everyone is always concerned about protein content. So, you know, I am a fiber champion. It's like, you know, it's important to be getting fiber, which we can only get from, you know, fruit, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains. And I think that if we're not uh, consuming those, we, uh, for whatever reason, we should rethink this because fiber is really important. Of course, people who have IBS, SIBO and other GI conditions have to be a little bit careful. They may not be able to tolerate what others do. But again, it's sort of paying attention to those whole healthy foods, again, that, that are critical. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. 
It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. I think it's really beneficial to talk a little bit about fiber because I feel and I agree with you that there's been this concern slash bastardization for some of these products. And I always remind people that the way to really stabilize our blood sugar is to focus on protein and some healthy fats and Mm non-starchy vegetables. But when we're talking about fiber, let's talk about what fiber beneficially does in the gut so that people Mm -hmm. understand we're not just saying this so that you go out and feel like you're eating foods that make you feel gassy. You don't necessarily have to eat a lot of them for them to be beneficial, but they're, you know, prebiotics and probiotic rich foods and Fiber dense foods are really helpful, but let's talk about some of the benefits to the gut microbiome. Absolutely. So, you know, fiber is really food for those gut microbiota. And, you know, it's not just bacteria, there are different types of organisms down there. But fiber tends to be something that nurtures them and something they can really thrive on. Prebiotic foods, quite simply, things like the allium family, garlic, leeks, and onions, asparagus, bananas, oats, and a few others, actually many others. And then, you know, paying attention to adding in fermented foods to the diet. What they do is they bring live active bacteria back to this environment of the gut. And how we want to think about it, Cynthia, is that by taking care of those microbes, they thrive, they can function for our better health. So we're giving them an opportunity to do their job, but do it well by feeding them well. At the same token, like I said earlier, when we feed the wrong types of organisms down there, bad bugs is when we set up for inflammation. What fiber also allows these microorganisms to do is break down the food into positive substances for our body, things like short-chain fatty acids. And to when we eat the we eat the more junk foods, fast foods, you know, they break down into more harmful toxic substances in the body. And the gut lining is just one single cell layer thin. The cells are held together by tight junctions. We can't see this with the naked eye, it's all microscopic, but When you think about it as inflammation may get set up with that sort of maybe fast food diet, it's very easy to start to get a leaky gut because it's such a simple thin layer of cells that lines the gut. And as you produce, start to produce more toxic substances, sometimes what happens is people develop what is called a leaky gut, which is actually intestinal permeability. So that's where fiber just is a very positive substance for most of us, understanding that those with some gut issues may 
struggle a little bit with fiber, like you said, you don't have to eat a ton of it, but make sure you have good servings during your day, throughout your day, so that you always have, you're always charged with a lot of fiber in your body. The other way in which fiber is super useful is that it evens out the blood sugar for individuals with anxiety. So rather than a blood sugar level that's spiking or all over the place, it just complex uh, carbohydrates that are rich in fiber will break down more slowly and evenly in your body. And when that happens, you are emotionally more on an even keel. So there's another tip right there about the fiber as well. I think it's really important. You know, I think I read a statistic that the average American consumes, I think it was three fruits for every one vegetable, non-starchy vegetable. And really it should mm. be flipped that we should be mm. having more non-starchy vegetables than fruit, but fruit is sweet and fruit is designed mm-hmm. to be very sweet. So it's this hyper palatable, right. relatively healthy thing. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I have teenage mm-hmm. boys who mm-hmm. eat like locusts and uh, <laughs> cotton candy grapes are in season for like two weeks out of the year. And it's the only mm-hmm. time I'll let them eat them. And right. We went through three pounds. These two boys went through three Mm -hmm. pounds of grapes overnight. And I said to them, you know, inherently it's a piece of fruit and it's not inherently Mm -hmm. a bad thing, but you've both consumed, I don't know how many cups of grapes in 24 hours. Yes. And so we need to balance out like tonight you're getting broccoli and you're probably getting another non-starchy vegetable (laughs) to kind of balance out all the fruit that you've consumed. But I love, and would love for you to kind of touch on we talked about the nutrition piece. What are some of the lifestyle pieces because in addition mm-hmm. to the nutrition piece that are absolutely critical when you're working with your patients to help tailor into the anxiety, depression, you know, if people are dealing with trauma or mm-hmm. OCD, you know, behaviors, what are some of the other things they can do in terms of their lifestyle that can beneficially impact their mental and emotional health? Absolutely. You know, lifestyle factors are hugely important. So thank you for touching on that. Nutrition is one of the strongest lifestyle factors that has an impact on mental health as well as metabolic diseases like we've touched on. But when we think about lifestyle, it can be things that I consider to be very important to be speaking to my patients about include how they're sleeping. You know, a lack of sleep is associated with an increase or enhancement of mental health symptoms. And the pandemic has been very bad on people's sleep. All so much so that we're calling it corona somnia now. So it's something to pay attention to, but also things like hydration, you know, having enough glasses of water during the day. Dehydration can be associated with depression. Someone who is also is dehydrated could become or feel more anxious and not realize what it is. One of the components is that they could have or should have been drinking more water that day. You know, it's also when someone is severely depressed, I won't talk to them about a certain number of minutes of exercise, but I will talk to them about whether they can walk their dog, you know, pick up the newspaper, walk to the local store for a cup of coffee, just to be out of bed and moving. And when they latch on to such ideas, when you can start to build in more of a lifestyle plan as they start to feel better. So all of these things become important, you know, sleep hygiene, hydration, you know, how are we, are we moving? And also mindfulness and meditation are hugely important. So, you know, someone can practice the kind of meditation that works for them, being mindful about their food, mindful eating, all of that is super important. Well, I love that you grew up in an environment where the parasympathetic or the rest and repose side of your health was really so nurtured. And I think people are oftentimes surprised to recognize that, 
you know, the simple act of digesting our food really starts in the parasympathetic side of our body, the rest and repose. So if we're super stressed Mm -hmm. out and we're in the car Mm -hmm. and we're in traffic or we're yelling at our significant other or kids Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. trying to eat a meal, you're really setting yourself up to make it a whole lot harder for your body to digest, break down and assimilate that food. So really focusing in on the lifestyle piece, I think is so critically important Mm -hmm. and generally underappreciated, you know, as it focuses in on sleep, I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, when I look at studies, if you sleep less than six hours a night, Mm -hmm. your ability to control your blood sugar, this is just one thing Mm -hmm. is reduced Mm -hmm. by 60%. And I always say when we're stressed and we don't have enough sleep, we don't crave broccoli, we're going to crave, you know, hyper palatable carbs. We're going to crave sugary stuff because it's going to give us a little bit of a, you know, serotonin boost. So we feel good at least temporarily. Temporarily. And then, you know, after the fact, we really won't, you know, it goes without saying there's one patient that sticks in my mind so significantly. This is a young man who had been put on benzodiazepine. So for Mm -hmm. anyone that's listening, young man who had been put on low dose Xanax for years and Mm -hmm. years and years, obviously not mentally my first line of thought process for addressing anxiety and depression. And what was amazing for this young man was that when he pulled gluten out of his diet, Mm. his anxiety and depression went away Mm -hmm. and he really liked Mm -hmm. beer. So this was a very Mm -hmm. much a hardship for him, Mm -hmm. but we used to have these very open conversations about how profoundly powerful it can be Mm -hmm. when you are dealing with, you know, a chronic, you know, mental health disorder. And for anyone that's listening, you know, whether we talk about OCD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, et cetera, these are no different than having high blood pressure or diabetes. I mean, these are real, these things can be for a lot of people can really impact their ability Mm -hmm. to go about their day without, you know, fixating on symptoms and really not feeling well. So is it, has it been your experience that, you know, when the sleep is dialed in, when they're moving their bodies, when they're eating better choices of food, people probably have a completely life altering perception of their disease system. They really do, uh, Cynthia, and it's magical to see because when they start to connect those dots and they want to make more healthy habit changes slowly, but over time, you know, is when they really start to make it a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So they live the lifestyle rather than trying to follow a checklist of I need to do this, I need to eat that. And that becomes, I think, is one of the most powerful things because when people make these slow and steady changes over time and they see the proven benefit in their own bodies, they speak to their doctors or they going for their checkups and things have improved and they're lowering the dose of a medication or they're having an adjustment to the amount of insulin they need. That's hugely powerful, you know? And I think where we can't get stuck is this all or none sort of mentality we sometimes have in this country with diet wars or, you know, different pieces of information pointing to one kind of diet that will, you know, cure everything and save the world, rather just eat healthy whole foods, you know, and mm-hmm. include components that you like from different diets. And, you know, most importantly, include the important foods that will, will help you feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it can be for a lot of people, incredibly powerful to be able to make those connections that their food really does impact their mood rather profoundly. Now I want to be super respectful of your time. Obviously we're going to put links to your website and your books, but what's next? What are you working on right now? So right now I am 
you know, trying to figure out my next steps. I definitely have been, you know, approached to write more books and I'm thinking about it. I do feel, Cynthia, that this book has so much life in it, mm-hmm. especially for the pandemic where people, it was very hard to be a debut author during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. I have now grown to understand that the book has become my book called This Is Your Brain on mm-hmm. Food has actually become a guide for people to Mm -hmm. feel better. It doesn't have to mean that you have a diagnosis. It could be that you're just not feeling, maybe you're not sleeping well. Maybe you're going from one Zoom meeting to the next and your your thinking needs to be sharper. Or you just want to eat healthier for those reasons. So I've been excited that people are seeing it that way. And I really have so much work to do sharing this book, which I plan to continue to do. I'm also very excited about the cutting edge microbiome research that's going on. And I'm, you know, working at my clinic. So I'm balancing that all up as best I can and looking forward to what the future holds. Well, I'm so glad that you read this book. You know, it it makes me think and reflect back on a conversation I had with Dr. Perlmutter, who I know you've connected with as well. And, you know, he wrote Brainwash and Mm -hmm. how I'm thinking of your books in a similar light that in many ways they came about at exactly the perfect time because for so many people, they're really looking for ways to improve cognition, brain health, and do it in accessible ways that don't necessarily involve looking at medication can certainly be part of the process, but really looking at the lifestyle, the nutrition piece is being critically important. Absolutely. Such a pleasure to connect with you. Please let listeners know how to connect with you and the easiest way to reach you on social media. Thanks so much, Cynthia. So the best way to reach me on social media is to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, we're everywhere. And it's at Dr. Uman. I do at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. We always share the platform uh, in an educational way to share things from my book, to share the most recent research and updates. And then my website, if you subscribe, we'll get my newsletter and blogs, which if you like this kind of work may be interesting to you. You also get to hear first what I'm up to, where I'm at, what I'm doing. And that is umanaidumd.com. So I hope you'll uh, subscribe and join me there. Absolutely. Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Cynthia. It was lovely to talk with you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.